welcome to a podcast from Hope Church Glasgow. For more about us, check out hopechurchglasgow.org. Hi there, welcome to the podcast. And uh, I'm kind of on a bit of a mission here. Um, so you can see this chat, it pretty much stands alone. But I think it's going to raise a few issues along the way that you might want more background, more information on. So it's also kind of part of a series that I'm doing. Uh, we started last week, well, on the incarnation. And I'm just trying to really get to grips with our unconditional blissful union with Jesus. And, and, and that sounds so wonderful, so simple, and yet it gives us some problems. So so the, so uh, we want to get those out of the way and live in our union with him because we are called to abide in him as he abides in us. And today, today's title is Why Encounters with God Can Give Us a Problem. Um, why Encounters with God Can Give Us a Problem. We would think it shouldn't be so. I think it shouldn't be so. I think, man, if I'm actually going to meet with God, it shouldn't create any issues whatsoever um uh, but let, let me let me uh, give us a scripture that we're gonna use uh sort of as our platform really to build on today uh, and uh, do our journey together so again thanks for joining me uh, if you want to look this up it's 2 corinthians 11 3 and 4 2 corinthians 11 3 and 4 and uh, which says this i'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his cunning, your thoughts will be led astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. For if someone comes and proclaims another Jesus than the one we proclaimed, or if you receive a different spirit to the one you received, or if you accept a different gospel from the one you accepted, you put up with it readily enough. Now, Paul is deeply concerned for this Corinthian church and he's here expressing uh, his concern that their it's interesting their thoughts will be led away from sincere and pure devotion so what happens in our heads is absolutely vital to our ability to experience and be devoted to Jesus um, and, and, and you could translate this thoughts uh, your personal mind or your personal verdict so your personal verdict will lead you away from devotion and that kind of makes sense because here he's talking about it's built on this idea that a diff someone's talking to you about a different jesus to the one i told you about or a different gospel or a different spirit uh these are these are deceptions and and, and for my whole life, I thought, well, there is only one Jesus, and of course there is only one Jesus. But I realise that often the Jesus that's in my head isn't the Jesus that's in the book or the Jesus that's part of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, Trinity. It's possible to have an image of Jesus that isn't an authentic gospel image of Jesus. So these things are connected. The gospel we believe, the Jesus we see, the spirit that we function in. And Paul here is concerned that uh, just like Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning. So remember in the garden, she she and Adam are deceived really about their nature and about the nature of God. They bite into the 
forbidden fruit, the apple, whatever it was, and the rest is history. We're we're in the fall and the root of that, and we'll, we're in the fruit of that literally. And I'll talk to you about that as, in a minute. So any mindset or wrong-headedness that leads us to less intimacy, intimacy and devotion to the Lord is actually based on a deception. Any mindset or wrong-headedness that leads us, I'm just saying it again, to less intimacy and devotion to the Lord is rooted in a deception. So um, we looked at this last time a, a, a bit. In, in Ephesians 4, 17, 18, the Apostle Paul is in encouraging the believers to escape the distance producing mindset they'd inherited from their gentile ways uh, because that's that's the adamic mindset that's the god is distant mindset um and, and the gospel is is one of union and communion not one of distance but the thing that can separate us isn't God walking away, but is how we think in our heads. He's saying we're darkened in our understanding, and it's that that's alienating us from the life of God. So so he's kind of saying the same thing there in Ephesians as he's now concerned uh, for the Corinthian church. He's saying, oh, no, the devil's getting in your heads, and that's moving you away from this intimacy, from this devotion, because there's a different Jesus popping up in your brains in a different gospel and a different spirit. It's the same idea. Um, and, and, and any gospel or version of the gospel that reintroduces a sense of alienation from God and re it produces a reduction in our passion and introduces this sense of distance is something that isn't really the full sense of the gospel. Uh, those ideas of distance and alienation are the very things that Jesus came to remove. And I would like to suggest that the true Jesus, uh, when you see him, when you taste him, is so attractive, so glorious, so ac accepting, so magnetic, that when you behold him in that pure sense, nothing is going to make you run away from him you will just fall into his embrace in less than a second he is not scary god and you see that i believe we see that in the gospels that the people i guess that were most worried about him were the religious types but you know the ordinary people didn't understand him but they absolutely loved being around him you know you have you have uh, people climbing up trees. You have people going out with at, without food for three days just to hang out with him in their thousands. There's some juice coming out of Jesus that people totally loved. You have the prostitutes getting right and just weeping all over his feet. You you just on you know the stories if you read the gospels they're there. Boy, this guy's got some juice, some magnetism, something that makes people come alive, makes them feel accepted. And, and, and even the disciples, even in one of Jesus's most misunderstood and difficult preaches, where they all walk away, the disciples are like, yeah, but you've got the words of eternal life. There's something coming from you that draws us to you and keeps us uh, connected to you. Um so there's a wrong-headedness that comes in. Where did it come from? Well, it came from the fall. It came from 
Adam and Eve and their fall. We've just pointed to this really. Their, their disobedience to eating the fruit was in response to a temptation to believe a lie about themselves and about God. And once they'd accepted that and then acted on it, they were locked into it. So when Father God comes to walk with them in the cool of the day, after they've eaten the fruit, they're now hiding in bushes. They're making temporary clothes out of leaves. None of this was in play before this moment of disobedience and deception. And it's just important to think about what they'd had from God actually to this point. If you think about it, it's immense. God, God withheld nothing from these people. Um, he, he'd entrusted his creation into the hands of of his humanity, and so, and you see this level of trust as as they have the opportunity one single opportunity to go wrong which is this one tree you mustn't eat and they as they're reaching to to take the fruit he doesn't rush in and remove from them their delegated authority and responsibility he doesn't rush in and chop their hand off so they can't eat the tree he's he's willingly given over he's the 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 stewardship of his creation to this couple and as they go so it goes my goodness he's given them everything he's given them a beautiful place to live he's he's given them the trusteeship of this creation he's he's given them everything this is one generous uncontrolling trusting god that they have experienced for we don't know how long and also it, it appears that this was a normal thing that he would walk with them in the cool of the day um and, and they'd be doing that for some time now what's good to notice about that is regular intimacy with the father does not produce a hiding instinct this instinct came from the fall not from an experience of the presence of god uh, the distance thing came from them not the father or their experience of the father um and that's i just want to underline that because a lot of christian thinking is that you know god separates himself from us and actually we interpret what happened in the garden when they pushed out of the garden as god separating himself from from them but it doesn't say that they were separated from his presence in fact the first mention of anyone leaving the presence of the lord is is cain later on he takes himself out of the presence of the lord in genesis 4 god actually pushes them out of the garden to prevent them accessing the tree of life and so living forever in this now fallen state he's still looking after them despite their uh yeah despite what they've done um <laughs> so experiences of god in his pure form do not produce a hiding, retreating, shame response in the human heart. That came from somewhere else. And that came in the fall, and we inherited this fallen mindset. We've inherited a fallen mindset, and that can be reinforced by uh, 
by teaching, by religious teaching, by Christian teaching even, that has failed to jump the fence and escape the distortion that the fall introduced. So Jesus came to put all that right, to fix the issue, to restore all that Adam lost and more. And often our gospel sits still inside the Adamic wrong-headedness rather than freeing us to live in the embrace of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Um, I used to think that the renewed mind was about was achieved by and was about learning uh, Bible verses and Bible truth and about filling my mind with, with good and wholesome thoughts. Now, that's all good. But if that's still sitting on a fallen mindset and a damning view of, of, of God... It might change, that approach that I'm describing might change what I'm thinking about, but not necessarily how I'm thinking about it. Okay, so that starts to land in this sort of fallen, God's a bit scary, I need to run and hide, then I can learn as much as I want and still have a mindset, a wrong-mindedness that is not going to help me uh, enjoy my union with him. In our church, in Hope Church, We've had many encounters with God. I've had many encounters with God. Uh, intense times in his presence. We're kind of known for it. It's been, it's been beautiful over, over the years. And, uh, and, and I've watched and I've frankly wondered at the outcome of these in many, many people. You see, do see lives changed. Uh, but I've also been frankly puzzled and gone looking for answers. I'm puzzled because... I've seen people have these kind of encounters and not go on in God as I thought they would. Why, why wouldn't you, uh, is my thinking. Um, uh, but the thing I've realised is I've now over a few years puzzled, wrestled with this and, and looking for answers. I think I'm kind of getting there, guys. So if you're listening and you're one of these folks, welcome to my world. I've, I've experienced, I'm in this with us. I'm in this with you. When we encounter him intimately in this infinite, incredible power and love, it's an amazing thing. We feel something incredible. We feel love. We feel feeling cured. What was that? We feel secure. We feel empowered. Yeah, we get healed both emotionally and physically. All kinds of things happen and it, it's, it's beautiful and you want more. But other things happen too. What I've realized is other things start kicking off. I kind of hadn't totally factored in. I just thought, well, this would be enough. And and, and I think we need a little bit of a theological journey to, to help us go the whole way and, and stay in the joy of these encounters. So here's, here's what I've observed. Three things I've observed that happen in uh, ongoing encounters with God. Uh, one is, that when you encounter the intense goodness of God, it can give you a theological problem. Depending on your background and what you believe about the Bible and how you believe the Bible, you start experiencing the intense goodness of God and then you read your Old Testament and all the difficult passages where God's ordering ethnic cleansing and you're like, ah, 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 I am confused. I am in tension here. I'm in intense tension. I'm in painful tension. Sometimes more uh, older believers, who people who've been around longer, are less freaked by the dilemma, but it, it's for real and uh, needs to needs to be talked about. And there absolutely isn't time in this podcast, but I'm working on it. Uh, 
look out for, for more to come on that. I will say something about it at the end just to help us along our way. Um, the second thing that happens is this is the most puzzling and profound thing. When his light shines brightly inside you, which happens in these times of encounter, it's both amazing, which we've talked about, and exposing at the same time. Now, what it tends to expose is it can expose how lost our minds really are. It can expose this old Adamic view. Uh, and if we don't have a good view of God sitting inside us, the enemy can use this exposure of us and our lostness or our foolishness of mind. It can use it to condemn us and tell us that God, small g here, the judge is in, unhappy with us. So suddenly we're having this beautiful time with the Lord and something's getting exposed here and the enemy can jump in at that mo moment and like, well, we just tell this that we're not good enough. And having had the intimacy, we now feel distanced and that's painful because we've had something awesome, <laughs> but we now feel the distance and can set sail on a journey to save ourselves from the pain of this thing. So we look for ways to become acceptable or to bury the pain or disguise it. And I've seen it. I've seen this go on self-help programs, whether secular or spiritual therapies, grand projects. You know, sometimes we just want to prove that we're acceptable. Self-discovery journeys, doing lots of tests and programs to find out who we are. And, and listen, some of these things are really, really good. But but I'm just please hear my heart and hear the context that I'm talking about this. Um, if it's motivated to ease this pain and discomfort without really crunching what's going on in terms of our our vision of God and which one are we living by, then we're in great danger of living in the thing that Paul, that our verse tells us about, that we've been deceived by his cunning and our thoughts have led us astray from sincere and pure devotion to Christ. Why? Because we got scared, because we got, we felt exposed, we felt he pushed us away, none of which is true, by the way. Uh, but it means that our vision of Jesus or the gospel is a bit off. And uh, I'm in danger of losing my place here. But this is... Uh, this is painful to have had the intimacy and then feel the lack of acceptance, which is a lie. I just want to run underline that it's a lie, but it's a lie based on uh, something in our in our wrong-headedness that we inherited from Adam and Eve. It's the lie that goes back to oh gosh, we better hide in the bush because we're feeling a bit ashamed and he's 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 a bit scary or a bit untrustworthy or whatever wherever it is. Whereas it's not actually true, but it, it's true to us. Um, and the third thing I've seen happen is, and I've seen it happen in the tendency in me, and I've read many revivals over the years, and it's pretty much in every revival, to maintain the move of God and to try and move into more of it, we look for keys and principles and rules that make it work. Uh, and so we've, there's things we say to one another that these are the things you need to keep doing and then you'll get more of this because it's so precious and beautiful if you just do whatever, then this will happen. And church history tells us that pretty much every revival ends in some sort of legalism for this reason. So 
the heartbeat of it, the, the beauty of it, the essence of it kind of starts to get lost and people start to do, do rules and laws. And good-hearted people, good-hearted people read the move of God through, through a wrong-headed view of God and if you've got any scintilla of, you know, God the great judge, God the critical, God the distant, it creates a striving reaction that ends in legalism and actually ends the move that you're trying to sustain. And in every move of God that I've read of, God is revealing himself in pure love, joy, acceptance. Uh, I mean, if you think of the songs that come out of revivals, there's one still that we've sung that's from the... The Welsh revival from the early 1900s, and and the, this is what they're experiencing. Here is love, vast as the ocean. How do we get from that experience to hear the rules, and if we keep them, he'll come? They weren't keeping rules for him to to be that present to start with. <laughs> it just something goes wrong in our heads. This wrong headedness creeps in and the devil just uses it to move us away from the simpleness which is another way you could translate the sincere and pure devotion it's the simplicity of enjoying jesus we remove away from this unconditional vastness of his affection due to a vision of the almighty which at heart creates shame and so internal distance from him what is true and I've said this already, is that any accurate revelation of God himself is so pure, dead, brilliant, to use a Glasgow expression, so beautiful, so attractive, so accepting and embracing that we would run into his embrace in a heartbeat. You would not think twice. You would not have a doubt. All right, so try and, try and land this one today. Uh, I mean, stirred all that up. Here's, here's, some, here's some pointers to maybe some solutions to the three issues that, that I've raised and, and that are part of my current journey and study. Num but number one is a discovery a th discover a theology, accept a theology that is essentially Jesus-centered. I know this sounds like Sunday school stuff, but to be honest, it's not. It's a bit, bit bigger than that. There's not another Old Testament God hiding behind Jesus who's going to jump out and scare us. I'm not binning the Old Testament here, and that's more work for another day. But work on this basis, that the Bible says, both in Hebrews and Colossians, that Jesus is the exact representation of God. There's nothing missing. He, he is the perfect representation of God. He, he's the full and final, the highest revelation of what God is like. It's Jesus, okay? And everything else needs to be seen in that context through that lens and through that reality of, of how Jesus lived and also how he died through the, the cross, the cruciform God, the God who gave his life for us, the God who gave us everything, just like he gave everything to Adam and Eve and trusted them with all creation. He's now given us everything in Christ and he who gives us every good thing, you know, this is the God we serve. This is the Jesus we are embraced by. So number one, see it through Jesus. Number two, uh, just to deepen your sense and our sense of inclusion in family trinity, he has permanently grafted your inner reality into the acceptance and bliss of the Father, the joy of the Spirit and the companionship of Christ. As we said probably two or three of these ago, 
that I did anyway. I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And that's what it means. Christ living in you is Christ living in you. He's living in your body. He's living in your mind. He's living in your emotions. He's living in your and my heart. He's not just in our spirit. He's everywhere. We're joined. Uh, we're joined root and branch to Jesus. And that bliss of the Father, the joy of the Spirit, and the companionship of Christ is in us and working its way out of us. And and we do need to repent of believing deeply in a God who is distant and judging and not a great father. And by repent, I don't mean grovel on the floor and do penance. I mean metanoia. The word repent is metanoia. It's a changing of our minds. Fundamentally, uh, the way we are transformed and grasp all this is changing our minds. Repentance is changing your mind. Pardon me. And thirdly, but we realise grace. We're not persuading him to come. He loves to be here. A friend, friend of ours who's lived in revival for a long time said it got easier for us when he realised we realised that he loves to come. We're not trying to persuade him to come. He loves to fill us continually. He loves to fill us unconditionally. Uh, in in the place of at that place of ecstatic union, impurities fall away and true identity is released. So often we're trying to get fixed to get more of him and and really living in the more living in the who he is in us is the way that we actually become healed we become more of who he's created us to be and uh anything that is a hindrance or impurity starts to fall away because we realize who we are in that light so there's those are my those are my little steers towards living in a healthier place with this so that as we experience God and he, he loves he wants us to experience him every day like Adam and Eve did in intimacy, in power, in goodness, in embrace, in acceptance, in love, lavish, lavish, overwhelming, unconditional, yummy, scrummy, joyful love. He wants you to know that and be in a place where it doesn't send you scurrying, doesn't give you pain, and doesn't create uh painful questions in your brain so i'm going to keep on this theme i think for a little while explaining different issues around this so thanks again for joining me today i'm just going to pray right now that more of the yummy goodness of the father son and holy spirit would baptize you right now in jesus name amen talk to you again soon bye thank you for listening Find us on Instagram, Facebook or search Hope Church Glasgow on your favourite podcast player.